Welcome to Issues 2022. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Chance Hayes, Warning Coordination Meteorologist, National Weather Service, Wichita. Good morning to you, Chance. Nice to have you with us. Well, I'm really looking forward to it today, Steve. Uh, This is one of the bright spots that I have uh, each year, being able to sit and chat with you about the weather. It's it's kind of a, a traditional thing for you and me, and uh, we ha- we wanted to do this show about a month ago, but uh, something came up. I had a hip replacement uh, surgery and uh, thought I would be back at a certain time. I didn't make it back. It's a, it's a little late in the season, but uh, here we are talking about severe weather. And like you say, we've been doing this for several years. We should have this pretty much memorized, but uh, <laughs> we'll see how it goes today. Well, I would think so, uh, <laughs> but you know how the weather is. It's always changing, so... Who knows what direction we're going to go today. All right. Let's do a little background, as I like to do on the issue show. How long have you worked uh, for the National Weather Service, Chance? Well, I've been in the National Weather Service since January of 1993. I started in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and then uh, I transferred here into Wichita in May of 1995. And I, I've been here uh, forecasting and, and warning the fine folks in central south central and southeast kansas since then are you are you native of uh, oklahoma is that right i am okay absolutely down there in red dirt country so you yeah actually grew up then knowing all about uh, at least you're you were in tornado alley there you knew all a lot about tornadoes before you ever got in the in the national weather service right <laughs> no oh no question about it i mean it seemed like i was always looking up at the sky for some reason you know I had, a, I had a passion for baseball, and and uh, it, it always seemed when I was out in the field, uh, especially when I wasn't playing catcher, but I was at third base or something, for some reason I'd always be looking up at the clouds. Fortunately, it wasn't during a pitch where I'd get hit or anything, but I was always looking up at the sky and had a fascination with the weather, and it just led me into uh, meteorology, and, and uh, you know, that's all she wrote was after that we were we – were, uh, Head in that direction. You, you're talking about we're playing third base and catcher in baseball. You know, you can't be looking up at the sky too much at those positions, or somebody's uh, something's going to happen that's bad to you. <laughs> yeah, no question. Especially if I'm behind the plate and catcher. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you this: How did you land the job at uh, at the National Weather Service? I, as I understand, I think you. What was your preparation for that? Did you go to college? I did go to college. I graduated from the University of Oklahoma. Uh, with a degree in meteorology, and, you know, my, my first thought and passion was uh, to get into television weather, and, uh, you know, there really weren't that many openings in and around the uh, Oklahoma area at the time, and and back then, I had a little bit more of an oaky accent than what I have now, and so it didn't translate real well beyond the Oklahoma area, uh, and so it was a little difficult for me to break into TV and and so, uh, you know, my wife, she said, why don't you just go ahead and put in for the National Weather Service? And I was like, well, okay, I'll do that. And, and so I did, and it seemed like before you know it, I got a call from uh, Louisville, Kentucky office, and off we went. Well, and you, you, it was, a, I think, a lucky break in the sense that uh, you did get into a situation that's a lot uh, more stable than, than TV weather. You'd probably been traveling all over the across the country, but... Uh, and I would imagine, all in all, at the end of the day, you're you're you're, you're better paid and better benefits. But uh, that's just my opinion, uh, you know. And if your your accent, uh, you know, that's yeah. At one time in broadcasting, they were very very strict about that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't know, not so much anymore. At any rate, it's good yep. to have you, National Weather Service office, and we appreciate the work you're doing. And I'd like to 
ask you some uh, questions about the weather this morning, uh, like such as how many National Weather Service offices serve serving Kansas. Tell us about that. Well, we actually have seven offices that serve the state of Kansas. That's one of the most, uh, you know, condensed number of networks, you know, serving a state, basically. You know, a lot of, give you, for instance, uh, Oklahoma, they have three offices serving Oklahoma. We have seven serving Kansas, and it's uh, Dodge City, Goodland, Hastings, Nebraska, Pleasant Hill, Missouri, Topeka, Springfield, Missouri, and Wichita. So we have a very dense network of weather offices serving the state of Kansas. And, and, you know, uh, we've talked before, how each of these, uh, of course, you've, you've got these, we've visited your center here in Wichita. It's really interesting. But I know that you also have uh, plans uh, for each office in case there's a technical problem. In other words, Wichita, you're, everything could go down, but you could still uh, lock into another, uh, another one of your offices in another place, right? Oh, absolutely. And that's one of the things that we're constantly working on at the National Weather Service. We have the ability... Uh, to do a lot of things through uh, satellite phones right now to get uh, backup services through that. If that's not feasible, we can very quickly roll over our services either to Topeka, Kansas, which is our primary backup office, and or Dodge City, Kansas, which is our secondary backup office. But one of the other neat things that we've been able to uh, set up are, is uh, tertiary backup offices. And, and I want to say Rapid City, South Dakota, in, in, a, in a rare case, may have the opportunity to back up the folks here in south-central Kansas. You know, for many years in the past, Tornado Alley was considered Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska. Uh, is, that still, uh, is that still the case, Chance? Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of debate going on right now around Tornado Alley. I, I'm not a fan of, of the term myself. Uh, we're still getting tornadoes along the I-35 corridor up into Iowa. I mean, shoot, in Iowa, in December, they just had 60 tornadoes up there in one day. Uh, so, I mean, tornadoes are still occurring in this area. Uh, but things things have, uh, I don't want to necessarily say shifted just a little bit, uh, but we're seeing more storms uh, along the Gulf Coast. Uh, we're getting stronger weather systems moving through that part of the country. And, of course, they've got ample moisture in order for those uh, storms to develop into and, and we are seeing an uptick in, in some tornadoes in that part of the country as well. So, I mean, really, when I look at Tornado Alley, it, it's, it's basically all of central part of the United States and, and then to the east, uh, almost to Appalachia uh, is, is kind of what I'm looking at because uh, it can happen anytime, anywhere. Okay, we've been watching the situation for several years now, at least I have, and I know you have too. Uh, how many... Uh, how many confirmations, how many tornado confirmations in Kansas last year? Last year we had 37 tornadoes touchdown in the state of Kansas. Now let me give you a little bit of perspective on that. Typically climatology is a 30-year average, so we were 49 tornadoes below the state average of 86 tornadoes. Uh, but also uh, when we look at our 10-year average, we were 34 below that. So, I mean, from the state as a whole, the last two years has, has been extremely, extremely low. And to give you even more perspective, uh, our office, which serves 26 counties in central and southeast Kansas, um, back in 2020, we had uh, zero tornadoes in our 26 counties. And then last year, we only had five confirmed touchdowns in our county. And we typically average uh, just over 18 tornadoes. So 
the last two years have been extremely slow for us. Slow. I hate to use that word. I'm knocking on wood here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> well, uh, I can give you some more perspective on that. The last time we had similar type of numbers, we'd have to go all the way back to the mid-90s, 94, 95, and 96. Uh, we had three nine and two tornadoes per year, respectively. Mm. So what does that mean for us this year? You know, I, I think weather is, is pretty cyclical, in my opinion. And so we kind of see these, you know, peaks and lulls. Are we in the third year of a lull, or are we going to see a, another busy year? That That's the that's magic uh, question yeah, right there. Yeah, and anything can happen, right? What about... Uh, yeah, no question. What about number of uh, tornado f- fatalities in Kansas? I know you keep a pretty good check on that. Uh, we do, and, you know... We haven't had many for quite some time. I know in our jurisdiction, uh, the last uh, fatality that we had, I believe, was the Hoisington tornado. Uh, and I want to say that was in 2001, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that, that's the last uh, fatality in, in our jurisdiction. So uh, beyond that, uh, I think that there's been some out in Dodge City's area. Uh, I think with the Greensburg tornado, I think we may have had some there, but... Uh, you know, that, that that tells me a lot. And what it tells me is that the weather enterprise itself is, is doing an excellent job of educating the public and also notifying the public when they need to take shelter. And, and, and that's why I really appreciate the partnerships we have with folks like yourself there at KNSS and, and some of your competitors and and also the, the television market and the emergency management folks, because we all work together basically to spread the same message. And so I think the low number of fatalities uh, is, is, can be attributed to that. You know, Chance, uh, tornadoes get the headlines and generate the public's fear going clear back to the Wizard of Oz. But are twisters the number one weather danger in the spring and summer for Kansas? Uh, you know, probably not. I mean, we've got to worry about lightning. You know, you love to get out and you love to jog. You know, I hope you're not doing that any time a thunderstorm is rolling in. You know, unfortunately, we, we did have a fatality uh, a couple of years ago with a runner down in southeast Kansas. Uh, they were out doing uh, some cross-country running, and, and he got struck and, and lost his life. But we also have to worry about flooding, you know. We may not be getting tornadoes, but, you know, we could definitely get those flooding rains and and uh, inevitably, uh, some folks take too many risks and drive through those water-covered roads and, and can get washed away. All right, more on that coming up in just a couple of minutes here. You're listening to Issues 2022 on the Odyssey radio stations. And our guest is Chance Hayes, Warning Coordination Meteorologist and National Weather Services in Wichita. So, Chance, what's the difference between a National Weather Service watch and a warning? Uh, basically, uh, we're just telling you with the watch, watch the skies. It's possible. You know, conditions are favorable for these type of conditions to occur. Severe thunderstorm, generally you're dealing with wind and hail and flooding. And the tornado watch, wind, hail, tornadoes, and flooding. Uh, though tornadoes can occur in a severe thunderstorm watch as well, they're not uh, completely gone or won't happen. It can. It's just those conditions are less likely for tornadoes. Uh, and to give you an example, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, like to bake or eat, and so, which I do too. So if you really want to think about 
the watch, it's basically uh, all the ingredients of a cake set out on the counter. So a lot of different things there. All the ingredients are there. And then once the cake has been baked and it's complete and all of those ingredients came together to produce all that goodness, that's the warning. Mm. And so it's basically going from all the ingredients into one to produce the hazards. What conditions trigger a tornado warning? Is it necessary to receive a spotter's human being's eyeball report on something like that? It's not necessary. Uh, we like to get that information because, one, it, it helps with the confidence in the warning system or the warning decision process. And it also helps get the folks into shelter because if somebody's actually seen it or experienced it, it becomes more believable than us saying Doppler radar indicated. So people will act just a little bit quicker. Uh, but, you know, the, the Doppler radar is a wonderful tool. We have the ability to see strong rotation or circulations in the storm. It will not tell us if a tornado is on the ground or if a funnel is dangling down. That's where the spotters come into play to let us know what's happening. But we've also, uh, through technology, we've, we've got these new calculations. You know, we call it correlation coefficient. You know, that's getting a little deep into the science somewhat. But we have the ability to see debris being lofted in the storms. So when we see these higher returns on that value on the radar, we know that there's debris there, so we know that something is on the ground causing damage. Now let's talk a bit uh, about the severe thunderstorm warning, which we, we have quite a few of those, it seems. And uh, what, what conditions actually trigger a severe thunderstorm warning? What do you have to have going on to get that warning issued? Oh, you bet. Well, right off the bat, uh, we got to have at least 58-mile-an-hour winds. And a lot of people are like, why did you choose 58? <laughs> well, 58 is equivalent to 50 knots. Uh, and so that's that's generally the, the basis for severe thunderstorm warning based on wind. And when it comes to hailstones, it's when we're anticipating hailstones one inch in diameter or larger. And one inch in diameter is roughly the size of a quarter. Okay. Should we uh, be more serious about the dangers of lightning than uh, anything else? Well, I think so. I, I, I think we have a tendency to take a little bit more risk when it comes to lightning. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've been there, I've done that. You know, like we talked about, I love baseball. I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times I was out on the ball field with storms rolling in, and, and we didn't seek shelter until the, the gust front actually blew through. Uh, so there's definitely some risk there. You know, I, I see golfers, I see gardeners. I, you know, people just don't have a tendency to change a lot of times until the winds pick up or the rain starts. But... The risk for lightning starts well before that, as, as lightning can strike easily up to 10 miles out ahead of a storm. Yeah, and if I, I, actually with grandkids now uh, who've been playing outdoor sports in the summer past few years and in the winter as well, but uh, in the fall, but I have seen that they seem to be a lot more uh, sensitive to lightning than they were before. In other words, they will go ahead and call off the game pretty quickly. Yeah, no question. Yeah, we've seen that proactiveness as well. Flooding is a source of a great deal of damage. You talked about that earlier. And uh, so a lot of damage from flooding, but how about injuries? Is it, a, is it something that causes a lot of injuries? Uh, you know, the injuries are not necessarily as much unless they happen to get washed away. Uh, most of the time, folks get stranded in the floodwaters. They either have to get rescued or they're able to walk out 
uh, to safety themselves. But it's, it's when they get caught into the floodwaters and they happen to get swept away, you know, there's a lot of debris in, in flash floodwaters. I mean, you know, you've, you've seen tree trunks, tires, trash, all sorts of debris, you know, and if, and if you're in, in that flow, it's almost like you're in a pinball machine if you really want to think about it. Uh, and, and so you can't get injuries, but unfortunately a lot of those lead to the fatalities. And that's why we just tell folks just, just stay away from those flooded waters. You know, even if you got a lot of water over the roadway, how do you know the road is still there? Because we've seen many times the road has been washed out. Let's talk about hail for a minute. What's the biggest hailstone you personally have ever seen, Chance? Boy, ever seen personally? Yeah. You know, probably for me, I'd probably say somewhere between golf ball and baseball-sized hail. You know, yeah, I've been very fortunate to, to not have to experience the, the hailstones like what we had, what was it, back in 2010 in September where they were the size of cantaloupes. Right. Uh, yeah, fortunately I haven't had to deal with that. Uh, but uh, that's the biggest I've seen. But, you know, it, it's routine for us here in Kansas to get baseball-sized uh, hail or, or even larger. You uh, A couple of years ago, just out covering weather for the radio station, I did come up, I, I think, about about tennis ball sizes, about the biggest I've ever seen. What's the what's the biggest uh, what's the biggest on record in Kansas, Chance? Do you know off the top well, of your head? Yeah, it's kind of split. I think we're one of the few states that uh, we have a split hailstone uh, record. Uh, you know, we we had the the original record in Coffeyville. I want to say back in '71, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, that one I believe is is still the record for weight and circumference. But the diameter hailstone record comes from 2010 uh, there in southwest Wichita. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And how, how big was that? Oh, Lord, it was, it, it was definitely bigger than uh, a cantaloupe. I don't yeah, remember yeah. the number right off the top of my wow. head. Wow. I want to say it was seven plus inches. Yeah, seven plus, I think it's yeah. Yeah, in the diameter of that uh, stone. Given the uh, the state of modern severe storm tracking, radio and television live coverage, the proliferation of weather apps on social media, people still get caught unawares by deadly storms, it seems. Why is that? Well, first of all, thank goodness we have all of that because fewer and fewer people are caught unaware. Uh, you know... There are some folks, you know, that they still don't have smartphones. They're still not on the Internet where all that uh, information is. Uh, so, therefore, they would have to rely upon uh, folks like yourself, commercial radio, and, and television. And if they're busy, not paying attention to the radio, their TV, uh, the only way that they're going to be aware is if they utilize their eyes and their ears. And uh, it that doesn't happen all the time, but fortunately, it's fewer and fewer people that aren't paying attention. Uh, most folks, now that we have the smartphones, uh, it's at their fingertips, and they're aware of what's going on. Right. Hey, the first week in March was uh, severe weather preparedness week in Kansas. I kind of missed it, but the rest of the rest of you didn't. What what activities were included in that that uh, first week? Boy, I tell you, the broadcast media and, and, and commercial radio did a fantastic job of, of just promoting weather safety 
uh, across the state of Kansas. You know, we had uh, different days. You know, the first day was preparedness day, which goes back to what you were talking about with social media and, and the smartphones and radar at your fingertips. To me, that may be the most important thing because I like to ensure that everybody has a radar app on their phone. So I encourage them to download one of our, our broadcast television weather apps and then turn on their geolocation services so they can plot themselves on the radar and so they always know where they are in relation to the storm. And if their location is anywhere near the red of a storm, they need to get out of there or get into shelter. And then after that, we talked some about tornado safety, lightning safety, uh, hail and wind safety. You know, because a lot of folks, even in severe thunderstorm mornings, they don't take the precautions they need to. Well, if it's been raining a lot or you got some strong winds, those trees can blow over on an exterior wall. And if they're sitting along that exterior wall, they can get hurt. And then lastly, we rounded out the week with flood safety. Chance, uh, did you or have you done the uh, the seminars that you personally have done over the years? Uh, what is this? Something on the plains or prairie? I'm camp not for. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, we've been out this year. Uh, you know, the the federal government has been a little bit slow to, to get out and about with our training and our meetings, but uh, we found that to be a priority for us, and we have traveled out uh, across. Uh, the 26 counties we serve and, and presented Storm Fury on the Plains. Yes. It's a free presentation for folks to uh, go and learn just a little bit more about the weather. You know, we've already been in the Wichita area, but I do believe that we have a uh, a uh, an advanced talk coming up here in Wichita not too long. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's April the 5th. And uh, if you give me just a moment, I'll give you the exact time, location, and everything of that uh, that folks can, can go out and learn. Because we're going to talk a little bit about more uh, meteorology of the storms, but they're also going to do a recap of April 14, 2012 event, which affected all of us uh, that were here back in 2012. And I think that's the tornado that moved across uh, the Spirit uh, facility right. out there in southeast Wichita. Right. But, yeah, it is... Uh, Tuesday, April 5th at 6.30 at the Sedgwick County Extension Office in the 4-H Hall there at uh, 21st and Ridge Road. All right, uh, just a, a quick comment here to, as we get to, I'm just thinking about uh, weather and, and how scary it can be and so forth. I wonder how many people actually know somebody uh, who's, who has lost their life to a weather incident uh, here within our listening area. And I'm just thinking personally that uh, uh, I would have to go back a long, long time in my uh, my mother's uh, family, they had uh, six, six girls and one boy. And he, Chester was the apple of his dad's eye at the age of 16 out in western Kansas. His summer job, he was working on harvest, and he was driving a tractor out there west of Larned, and he was struck by lightning and killed. And that's the only person I, I can ever remember. But I'm, I'm sure everybody's got a story about somebody. But uh, I guess the main, um, their main message today is, as always, Chance, just be, get your antenna up when it looks bad and, and get ready, right? Yeah, no question about it. And don't take unnecessary risk at all. That's the most important thing. It's like I tell my kids, you know, when they're moving into adulthood, it's like the, the lawyer scales. you got to sit there and weigh your risk. And, and, you know, don't weigh it down too much where you're taking that risk because inevitably uh, that risk is going to jump up and bite you. Chance, as always, thanks for being with us. And uh, I anticipate next year we'll uh, we'll be doing the same thing. Maybe we'll do a winter update coming up here in a few months as well. Chance, always hey, always great to be with you. Our guest, 
Chance Hayes, Warning Coordination Meteorologist, National Weather Service, Wichita. That's all for this edition of Issues 2022. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh.